Hey everyone, how are you doing today on this fine, beautiful, or possibly ugly? Because I don't know when you're watching this, but hopefully you're watching this in a good mood, is what I should say. Uh, this is Not a Journalist with Brian Holiday, and I have a guest with me here. You may have seen him before if you're on my YouTube channel. He's the main video at the top of the page. I left it there because during these times, I feel like this <laughs> was the most important one I'd like to leave up on my page. Um, I'm honored. Wow. Oh, no, for sure. Uh, family doctor, works in northern Quebec, has done so many things, is well-informed. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome, once again, Dr. Justin Ross to Not A Journalist. Hey, hey. How you been, man? All right, all right. It's been, uh, I can't remember the time when we last spoke. Was it in the I'm summertime or just before? Just before, it feels like. I'm actually trying to check the date for when we put the first one up. It was uh, like May? Yeah, that sounds like it could be right. It's a, I'm just crazy, but it's, it, it's been a while already is, it the, has. is the crazy part because I thought you were one of the later interviews I did in my series. And it looks like you're one of the earlier ones that I did, which I didn't realize at the time. Um, yeah. Cause I did it before October. Then I did this one in April. Yeah. So yeah, you're one of the earlier ones. Huh. Yeah. I don't have the exact date though, unfortunately. Long time ago. What well, lots happened? Second yes. waves. Yes. Holidays. You know what? Let's vaccines. start off with that. Do you feel like <laughs> you, a lot of things? Do you feel like there there we ever had enough of a dip that we could call it a second wave? I mean, I think so. I think okay. like the problem with a lot of the data that you're getting that you're seeing on a day-to-day basis is just like provincial data, right? So it's not broken down by region. So uh-huh. for example, I think the main thing that we saw which we're kind of seeing globally, at least in like, maybe not globally, North America, at least, Mm -hmm. I think this is pretty clear, is that you basically had, like, it appeared that the nation had a second wave, when really a lot of places were just having their first wave. Yes. So that's really more what it was. So you'd see like a spike, a dip in numbers and a spike, but the the dip was reflective of of areas that were actually weathering their storm, and and the Mm -hmm. spike was reflected by people that just got it. So for example, like when we last spoke, New York was kind of, um, kind of dovetailing down mm-hmm. and and that made it look like the country was doing well because most of the cases were here on the east coast yes then shortly thereafter in the summertime the southern part of the united states uh oh, was yeah. it because it was yeah. brewing you know over the course of the spring right yeah. so at that point they were just exposed to it and then after they went down and then in the fall it was midwest then you had like the dakotas montana wyoming yeah um, and then over the holidays it kind of everywhere kind of peaked again because similarly like in Canada and the U S you have like Thanksgiving in October, Thanksgiving in November in the States and then Christmas time, people were just, were just doing shit together. So then you had, you had a, exactly. So they were doing things here. So you naturally were going to have like a spike kind of everywhere, but each place had like different levels of spikes depending on where you were. So I think certainly depending on what like lens you're looking at, Mm -hmm. a lot of places really only had a first wave. Um, but globally, like in each nation, it appeared like there was truly a second wave just because it was kind of moving around, especially in these larger places where the landmass is so big. Yeah. Um, Quebec, you know, is interesting because like if you look at the regions that were affected at the beginning, you know, very like Montreal was extremely hard. Yeah. Yeah. Quebec. Yeah. Then later, um, Lac Saint-Jean at one point was like yeah. the highest prevalence. Per capita. Per capita, like in Canada, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of insane. And even the community that I work in only just recently last month was also one of the highest places per capita 
in the province. Yeah. Um, just because we're, you know, we're very isolated, we're very small, and we had a significant amount of cases. And that was the first time that any case, like real outbreak, occurred in that tiny uh, First Nations community mm-hmm. or region, rather, since the beginning. And that happened in January. So yeah. almost a year later, that was really the first time that they were really impacted. So I think that's kind of what you're seeing is that the first wave is sort of it just took time to move around because of restrictions that were in place. Yeah. But certainly after the holidays, everywhere had a little bump because people were just doing things together, right? Like even here in New York, you saw an increase, albeit it wasn't that significant compared mm-hmm. to, let's say, other places where ICU capacity, hospital capacity was was really tested. Here, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, Quebec, it certainly was. California, it still is, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I don't really, I don't know enough about what's going on over there to really comment on why it's like that i can't say but it's I mean, kind of crazy how bad from, it is over there from what i listen to uh, i i listen to many podcasts uh you know i listen to tiger belly with bobby lee i listen to um joe budden i listen to a few podcasts of uh like people in the states and a lot of the american uh, oh and um uh, best friends with sashiro zameda and um uh, Nicole Byer and a lot it sounds like a lot of people are talking about LA like it's still just booming LA yeah. like it's still it, it understands that there's something going on but it seems like a lot of people at least in the ent- entertainment industry talk about it like we're doing everything we have to do but they still talk about like going out going to restaurants uh you know and not bobby like for example on tiger belly bobby lee himself doesn't talk he doesn't go out him and his partner specifically talk about the fact that they are actively trying to quarantine Mm -hmm. Uh, kalila his partner has a medical condition heart issues so she knows that she's you know very uh, at susceptible to potential uh high risk for really dangerous effects if she catches it so it's actually very interesting watching someone in the entertainment industry who potentially could be affected by this discussing why they themselves are trying to keep as far away from everyone and to maintain this this proper social distancing whereas other shows are talking about and i you know they're not necessarily talking about it themselves but they make it sound like everyone's still going out that's one of the words they use a lot people like people are out here and i'm just like that sounds very scary Mm -hmm. and you know, uh, the last time we spoke, I just found six months ago was when we spoke. Yeah. Um, and it's true. Yeah. There's a, <laughs> there's a big difference in what was going on and what was happening sure. in the world. And it and it's crazy because it's true. When you said we, we spoke in May, I was thinking like, okay, yeah, that feels about right. But no, we spoke later than that. And it was just, and it still hadn't, it still didn't feel like the second wave. And it's still to me, you know, equally as you were saying, that whole idea of the like the dovetail and then p- picking up in certain areas, I really do feel that the second wave is a now thing, and the first wave, as you explained, very much just took time to get make its way around. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's definitely a concern, um, and I think one of the other things is it doesn't seem like people took it as serious in some places. Um, For sure. We had, we, I mean, I don't even want to use anti-mask. I, I'd like to say idiots. We have a lot of idiots who don't want to protect themselves. Um, I usually try and put things in analogies with for my friends and for myself sometimes so I can try and frame it in a way that sounds easier. But the only version of framing a deadly virus that spreads through the air that I could think of was a deadly virus that spreads through the air. Like there's yeah, no, no, true. no analogy to explain you know, I guess I I, tr- I was talking to my partner this morning about something, and I was like, maybe if uh, if it was worded as like a fire, 
that's spreading, but that doesn't seem it's not a good analogy because no. fires get put out easily and you just, you know, you just it's not like you need a mask. You just don't go near the fire. But this is a virus in the air that you don't see. You see fire, the virus you don't see. So there's just that kind of separation of I don't mm-hmm. see the danger. So I can't just believe the danger. It's interesting because like there's certainly a lot of like cultural uh aspects at work here right like if you think let's say of like a, a lot of southeast asia and and just asia in general like the notion of wearing a mask during flu season is normal, normal. everyone will just do it this is a normal thing that people do yeah and that's just part of their life um and to drop parallel to that like working with, in my first nations community like let's say that westernized medicine is still very new for a lot of people like the concept mm-hmm. of taking medication and unfortunately up there you know because of food scarcity and like centuries of colonialism, a lot of people have are more susceptible to certain types of medical illnesses like diabetes, like hypertension. Mm. And when they have that, similarly to COVID, like a lot of people at diagnosis feel fine. It's like, I don't feel sick. Mm. I feel okay. Why should I take this medicine that yeah. you're pushing on me if I feel fine? And I try and like break it down in a way of like, look, like right now you feel fine. That's like the most dangerous thing about this is that over time, these little changes in your body are going to maybe make you not feel fine. And usually at that point when you're not feeling well, it's kind of, it, it often is too late. Something yeah. very bad has happened. And now we have an irreversible impact on some part of your body and COVID with North America, at least westernized world, let's say Europe and North America is that look, we're very used to doing whatever we want having access to whatever we want, whenever we want. And this is the first time that people have ever really had to check their reality and think like, Hey, like I need to do something for the greater good. And unfortunately the only thing, the main thing that I think really impacted people taking it serious or not is if they were impacted directly. And that's why you saw the first wave bounce around like Lac Saint-Jean, for example, Mm -hmm. like when I drove through there the first time in May, when I was going back to work from New York, coming from here where it was a pretty horrifying experience, seeing people just out having like barbecues and like in the pool and stuff. I was like, this is crazy. Like this is just a ticking time bomb. And it was, and it was what happened. And that's just what happened everywhere. It's just, you didn't, you saw over there, you're thinking, Oh, that's never going to happen here. Mm -hmm. I see that. And like news will sensationalize things. And like, you don't really get like a good, like it looked like New York was like, uh, I am legend basically. And and in some ways it was, (laughs) but like, you don't hear like the real like day to day, of what someone was dealing with living in that place. Similarly in Montreal, it was equally, it was very, very hard, like affected quite um, hard as well. Yeah, and yeah. all these other places, like the rural environments were the ones that were most affected in this like second wave that we saw. Yeah. And then it's just, that's what it is. People if it didn't directly impact you. You didn't know somebody. You're much less likely to Believe. invoke change yeah. in a way that you live your life. <laughs> and yeah. it's unfortunate um but that's just kind of the way that we are as a civilization (laughs) it's depressing but (laughs) maybe we'll come out of this better (laughs) as a civilization in this sense this has been one of the most eye-opening experiences i think for us as a western society on a global scale i really do think that it's opened us to to kind of looking at things very differently at least i'd hope so i hope it would make people think i know that there's still a lot of people out there who are just like oh well i don't trust the system i don't believe in the system this yeah yeah. and the the eye-opening for them is that you know oh there's you know look how easily it can get militant i don't think and for those conversations i'm always just like i don't think that it's militant i think that it's just i think it's we are scared and we are trying our best for something that we don't fully understand. Yeah. Um, and I find it so interesting, people who are just like, well, you know, I, <laughs> I think my favorite part, 
and my partner said it to me again this morning. Um, the amount of people who are saying, I see videos of people in New Zealand not take like not wearing masks and going out like that. Why are they able to live like that? And then, but then lobbying against the same things we're trying to do here that New Zealand did to protect themselves. Like even just the minimum of like, well, we're asking people when they come back in, you have to come back with a negative test and you have to quarantine for two weeks. Unfortunately, this is going to be at your expense in a hotel because this is what we have to do. The government's not going to pay for all of you to come back. Mm-hmm. People are mad that that's happening here in mm-hmm. Canada. Oh, yeah. But then in New Zealand, it was just like, well, how did New Zealand do it? Oh, we made people quarantine and we yeah. made them come back with negative tests. But it's not fair. They're getting to live like that. Yeah, you're not listening. They did the thing we're trying to do now before. It yeah. worked for them. And they're now living more comfortably. And we're trying to explain to you that's what we might need to do. Or at least some version of it. Because they're la- they're an island. So, exactly. we're island, so, you know, Montreal could maybe do it. But that doesn't even make sense. Why would you do that to one well, city? Interregionally, know? it's very complicated. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's what we have. Like, we have very strict rules, um, let's say, in, in a lot of the indigenous communities in northern Quebec. Where, like, you have to follow these type of quarantine regulations. If you're coming, let's say you're not an essential worker, you have to either have quarantine prior to or on arrival, and then you're also required to do a, a certain number of tests, either prior to arrival, on arrival, and five or seven days later, depending on your situation, depending on why you're coming back. Whether you're a resident there or you're a construction worker coming in or a Hydro-Quebec worker coming in to fix something, or if you're a doctor or a nurse. So there's a lot of rules in, in some of these places that have, are, have draw parallels to a place like New Zealand or or Iceland or Vietnam, these places that have invoked these these island nations that have invoked very strict measures since the beginning. And, you know, they recognize that because at a certain point, their infrastructure is going to be easily maxed out. Whereas ours, we we have more fail-safes in place. Yeah. I don't think, I think, again, just like culturally, as you saw, like the, the uproar of this now, after mm-hmm. we've seen what this thing does, if we would have invoked this at the beginning, the uproar would have been even more crazy because yeah. we wouldn't have really seen what would happen. Yes. So... Yeah. Interesting. It's, it's really unfortunate <laughs> that you just we were kind of set up to fail in this yeah. sense in our area kind of from the beginning um i think i don't think there's much else that we could have done differently from that perspective to, like new zealand is obviously a huge success yeah. but they have a lot going for them a lot of factors on their side to begin with and now whenever they do have a case similar in australia they lock down the entire cities immediately yeah right like for months at a time which is great Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know enough about their vaccine campaign right now uh, to say like how that's going, mm-hmm. but um, like Canada's is quite disappointing. Well, I was just going <laughs> to bring it up next because you talked about <laughs> nurses and people on the face. Yeah, you, you brought up people traveling and you know uh, mm-hmm. emergencies and needing. Uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank on the word? Essential services in yeah. certain areas and. I think, you know, the vaccine, like, for example, uh, I haven't gotten the vaccine. My my partner is a nurse. She got the vaccine. Uh, I imagine you've gotten your vaccine, yep. your first one. My first Did you one. get your second one yet? No. So it's, it's a bit more, I mean, in Quebec, you know, Quebec decided to take the route of just giving everyone a single dose. Yes. Um, you know, for reasons that I think are still kind of, I mean, the, I understand reasons why one would do that. Do I understand why Quebec necessarily did? I feel like it's still a bit nebulous. It seems like some of it was politically motivated. Some of it was certainly public health motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there is certainly there was certainly at that time some data to show that a single dose is quite effective. Now we're showing more and more data is coming out that it, it Pfizer and Moderna both being quite effective after a single dose to protect someone against it. That 
you know, is that data coming out because there's, there's a lot of shortages, you know, supply is certainly yeah. much more limited than it was before. Um, so it's I don't like, like that statement. Exactly. Sound, you I sound know. Like, there's a lot. It's unfortunate. Like that's just question. Everything is just like, Hmm, all of a sudden the single dose is more, is that no, but that's fair. Like the, the, the studies coming out are yeah. showing they're that geared specifically for this, right? Like they're trying to, cause like the problem is we invoked emergence. I mean, it's not a problem. It's great. We're, we're actually able to avoid them. Um, invoke emergency measures to use this because of a public health emergency. Yeah. Um, but we're just going to find out more as the months come along. So like, no matter what, there's going to be someone on either side with like a powerful argument right yeah. now, something, well, that studies showed this at the beginning. Well, now we're having new studies showing this. So it's difficult to say, do I think the harm, like, is there any harm just giving everybody a single dose? I mean, probably not. Um, mm -hmm. But ideally, you know, it would be better if people could get their dose when the initial studies showed, just because that was what the study showed. That's the data that we have. Yeah. However, we're still looking into it going forward, and we're going to know more and more in the next couple of months what that means. I mean, so I've only gotten one. I only got one. My wife has both. She got both okay. of hers here. She got two Pfizer doses here in the in New York at Mount Sinai. I got one Moderna dose um in the north we don't use pfizer up there because we don't have the infrastructure to properly store it yeah because that's the one that has to be stored at like minus something got yes. ungodly, right? Well, so per presently yeah so like now they're actually looking into is it as effective just at normal freezing temperatures so that's oh, like okay. to try and help just increase volumes of people getting vaccinated because yeah it wasn't possible for any rural or remote location or third world country to use that vaccine because yeah. My, that that low of temperature needs specific fridges, specific freezers. I saw the protocols of how you're supposed to defrost and use it. It's like pages and upon pages. There's no way that would be able to be done in a location. The risk of something going wrong and losing a ton of supply is is too is too high. So yeah. the, the risk benefit didn't make sense. And that's in that case. So uh, Moderna is what they went with, and it and it's certainly just as good. Okay. Um, so you know, I got that. Uh, when was that? In January. In, okay. Like, mid-January I was vaccinated in my uh, First Nations community. And then, so you, yeah, so you're past the, because it's supposed to be um, six yeah. weeks, right, or something? Yeah. yeah, similar, similar over here for my partner. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know what, now that, that that's reassuring, because, you know, last time when we spoke six months ago, you said, well, we're going to be the first ones who get it anyways, so mm -hmm. we'll be guinea pigs, and we laughed about it, but you did remember, get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you did get it and you, you seem fine so far. You, I mean, yes. looking just as handsome as before. So that's so good. Stop. It didn't ruin anything. Um, uh, but yeah, I guess because uh, over here, I was worried when I started hearing that they were cutting your doses because sure. that to me, I, have, I feel bad making the analogy, but it sounded like old school drug dealer stuff. Like you cut the product so that you sure. can sell more of the product sure. like hmm that's what the drug trade does and so it's like yeah. so there's that reaction but you know it's hard not to think see these decisions being made made on the fly and not be concerned but For at sure. the same time i should understand that like you said which is important the studies are still being done on this yeah it's so dynamic right that's the thing mm -hmm. so it's like no matter who you are on either side how like intent you are on de declaring what your position is and justifying it in the next couple of weeks, something else could come out to either, you know, be against or for it. So we're literally living like a study ongoing altogether yeah. right, globally. So it's a, it's an extremely dynamic process. I'm just happy that, you know, we're at least we're shown that the ones that are existing are having some great impact and great last and great effect. Cause that would, this is kind of unprecedented that this type of vaccination was ruled out this quickly. Yeah. Um, so it's that that's pretty amazing. But now it's just about getting those into people. And that's yeah. 
you know, here, here in New York, it's certainly complicated. The online system to get an appointment I, is very weird yeah. and not user-friendly. And in Canada, I mean, at least in Quebec, I don't know what's going on. I, I mean, from my perspective, I just know I'm not getting it right now. So no. I, I haven't really been paying attention. Exactly. Because I'm like, they haven't really, like, it sounds like elderly and medical. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. are the focuses. So, and I, I, I think one of the positives is that as a community in Quebec, I haven't heard many people being aggressive or crying out to like, make sure they get theirs ahead of anybody else. Like, sure. Uh, which is either a sign of they may not want to take it right away or that they hopefully more positively accept that this is needed for specific groups yeah. and that we at this age and these, you know, this level of health are fine and can wait, wait it mm -hmm. a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. um, how did you feel after you got yours? After you got well, your shot? Any, I feel fine. Okay. I didn't have any, any real side effects at all. I felt a bit tired, but... Mm -hmm. Which Nothing. is normal, right? For a vaccine, it's just your body adjusting to. Yeah, so it depends. So, like, some people after the first dose can feel um, like very similar side effects to one feel after getting their flu shots. And some people yeah. feel like they feel a little bit under the weather. Like, the most but, common side effects being like some fatigue, maybe a bit of headache. Some people can even have like a low grade fever, either documented or like subjective, just feeling like, oh, I feel sweaty. I feel, I feel shivery. But those are usually the most common things. Mm -hmm. um, it'd be rare, let's say, if somebody after a first vaccine developed like a cough. That would not be normal. For example, okay. so like let's say if someone's like, oh, I'm starting to cough and starting difficulty breathing, it's like that's that's kind of atypical. Yeah. Either they're having like a severe allergic reaction or they're just sick. Like, because yeah. like obviously after you get your vaccine, the effectiveness of the vaccination for you developing some type of protection takes time. Mm -hmm. So it's possible you could have been exposed days prior. Yeah. And then these symptoms are they because of the vaccine or because of COVID. So we've like stratified the symptoms into different categories. And the ones I just mentioned, like fatigue, headache some degree of subjective fever um, and like myalgias, like muscle aches and chills. Mm -hmm. These are the kind of the most common ones one would see. Losing your sense of smell, losing your sense of taste, cough, uh, difficulty breathing are very uncommon. That would not yeah. be something that one would expect. So then you're thinking, okay, I'm probably just sick. I probably should just go get tested. This isn't the vaccine. Cause you can, you can get it yeah. after, after having been vaccinated. You know, it's interesting in our, in our region in Northern Quebec, where we had this outbreak recently, it was happening at the same time as we were starting our vaccine campaign. Okay, I was going to so ask. It that. So yeah. it occurred over the course of a month, uh, the the outbreak, as well as as the same time as people were getting vaccinated. So we were get seeing people get COVID after having received one dose within that two week period. So oh, I got my vaccine eight days ago. I have COVID now. Or yeah. I got my vaccine three weeks ago. I have COVID now. However, what we were seeing, which was which is just so interesting, I don't have all like the data on hand. We have a field epidemiologist that was working with us because this was kind of a very unique situation where we were an outbreak happening at the same time as we were vaccinating so many people is that the bulk of our people were very mildly symptomatic mm -hmm. or asymptomatic. And it's interesting because you would think looking at like the makeup of our population who have a tremendous amount of like limited health resources, food scarcity, uh, medical comorbidities, and are a very at-risk population. That's why we're, they're getting the vaccine to begin with. Whether this outbreak like with tremendous resilience and did very, very well. Hmm. Like um, of all the, we had about a hundred cases, one one person passed away during the outbreak, but no real hospitalizations otherwise. Okay. And a significant amount were asymptomatic. And, you know, I can't speak that all of this, the, the causality of, of the vaccination and involved in this, I can't say for sure, but it was just interesting to see that um, we were probably seeing the most people in the province that had been vaccinated getting COVID 
after the fact, but not really having much of an infection at yeah. all. I always wonder, one of the things that, I mean, I, uh, th this is the logical science side of Brian's brain. I And I understand that there's no way we could try and do these studies right now because there's just so much stuff going on. And we're trying to more control than understand. Because that's the main thing. Right now we're trying to control and yeah. understand. But the control Definitely. is the most important part. But I'm so interested in understanding if there are different strands. And when people are saying that they're... Like, you know, there's some people who lose their sense of taste and smell and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Is it a, a potential mutation in that strand that's causing sure. that versus a different? And that those are all things that, you know, later on when we look at antibodies and stuff, I'd be very interested in seeing. Because, uh, I mean, I didn't like I, I remember the first time I heard about people losing their sense of smell and their sense of taste was when Will Smith had his uh, guest on to talk about COVID very early on. And they had a, a young woman come on and she said it, she's, you know, early on, she said, I, I lost my sense of taste and smell and I didn't understand what was happening. And I had never heard anyone else talk about that. Mm -hmm. And it made me wonder did she catch a different strain? But obviously at the time, no one was trying to figure out if she caught a different strain. They're just like, you have COVID, you have COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That's COVID. We don't really care about. Um, and now there's different strains. There's the UK variant. There's the South African variant um, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, again, these are, you know, quote unquote, mutations of those strands. Um, something that I well, it's interesting because like not a lot of countries are doing, we're doing genotyping, right? So our gene sequencing. Yeah, so sure. okay. for example, like we're saying like the, we use the term like the UK strain or the South African strain. It may have not even originated there. Oh, I know. It yeah. somewhere else. We, yeah. just, we just know because they're the ones that were looking at it. Right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of other places were not like, just like from anecdotal evidence, like my wife was, when my wife was working in the hospital here in the spring, um, obviously we didn't have as much awareness of things like treatment tools that we have now, let's see how to approach a really sick patient with COVID that we do now, mm. but still just like her description of like her ICU patients dying so fast was yeah. quite remarkable. She's like, now I have a patient that I'll have a patient that has it and they're just, they're just not dying as quickly. She's like, I'm sure that what we had then if we had really looked into it, would there would have been a def definite changes in the genetic makeup of the virus. And it's also, there's just like changes in, in, in different people. Like everybody's reacting so different, uh, differently oh, to this um, that like they're going to find a lot of interesting stuff when we look back, like in maybe 10, 15 years in terms of why this confer, like these like long haulers who have symptoms for, for months. Like so many of Laura, my wife's uh, colleagues who let's say had changes in sense of smell or taste in the spring, Still to this day, like I, they can't smell citrus. Like okay, the, yes, it smells like shit or like coffee. Like they can't drink coffee anymore. It this tastes like it's like that's horrible. <laughs> like this that doesn't happen to everybody. Yeah, it yeah, can't, it can't happen. And it's interesting, just that like, it's the bulk of her colleagues that got it at the beginning. So I'm sure there are there are genetic changes that confer this, yeah. uh, either in people or in the virus. Um, but we just we just don't know enough. Like you're saying, we're trying to mitigate and yeah. understand at the same time, and uh, it's difficult. Because that's be a neurological—that's a neurological side effect, right? The fact that it's essentially rewritten how your sense of smell works. Yeah, interesting. Exactly. I—I I, and to think that what we understood as because uh, a lot of people see see it as like a respiratory virus and mm -hmm. think of it only as a respiratory virus, but that's one of the things. I mean, I—I—it's I, not in one of the questions that we had written down that I wanted to discuss, but it is something that we, you just brought up that makes me wonder when we when they start to do the research later on um or even some of the cases right now when we look at this are we going to reclassify it because right now as uh, as it's being like people keep saying covid coronavirus and stuff like that 
but I've never seen the common cold or the you know uh, any of the other viruses affect how you your sense of smell is affected while you're oh. sick and then past that point. The mm -hmm. fact that you mentioned people who got it early on who still can't who, who their their sense of smell for citrus has changed. How? That's very Why? Weird. No, that's, for sure. So I I'm really th that's the thing like. When we like, I don't know. I just keep thinking about it, and I'm just like, this is such an interesting, weird nerd science thing for because I I fascinated by the idea that this is why I was saying I think I said it to you last time. If not, I may have said it, said it in other platforms, but I've definitely said it. Sometimes when we talk about this virus, I think of it as one of the most intelligent evolved viruses because the way it passes is through respiratory, and then but it affects the body in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. And that to me seems so interesting. And it's not interesting. In, uh, I know some people are going to be offended. It's like, oh, it's killing people. Yes, it is killing people. And I don't mean interested in a morbid way. I mean interested in the way that I would love us to analyze so that we can prepare mm -hmm. and protect ourselves. Because that's the other thing. Um, you know, we mentioned UK variant, South African variant. And as you said, that's just because these are the places they were being studied. It's a There's possible mutations that can happen. Um and hopefully the all the companies that are working on vaccinations are able to start to look at those and see how their vaccine can be used against those uh, mutations. The good thing is, is like the way that the, these vaccines have been developed is that you you essentially have like a placeholder, right? So like the like for example, the mRNA ones, like the mRNA is a blueprint of the protein of how to make the protein on the virus that attaches to our cells and and will then infect us. Okay. So basically the anchor of the virus, we inject a blueprint of how to make that anchor. Then your body sees, okay, this is how they make it. Now, when the anchor actually comes in, you're like, we recognize this thing. We're going to be able to attack it. Okay. Now, the problem is with some of these other variants is that it's that anchor. It looks a little bit different. Hmm. But the nice thing is because we know what that anchor looks like, we can just change the blueprint in a lot of these vaccines and just give it up. Okay. So the way that the vaccine is developed is that, it's kind of like you just sub in that new blueprint for it. So it should, it should if let's say we do need a booster for whatever reason, because one of these, as we've seen, some variants are are more responsive than others. Mm -hmm. um, seemingly, a booster will be will be very very possible, and it shouldn't take that long because the main thing was actually being able to develop a vaccine that uses kind of blueprint mRNA structure. Period. That was the most innovative thing. Yeah. Now we could just sub in a new thing, and like people are thinking after this. Can we use this for other common viruses? Can right. you use this that like viruses that cause like croup in children or like other like common cold type of viruses? Could those be eradicated using the same type of uh, infrastructure with vaccination, which is very unheard of, has never been used before? Yeah. So um, that is reassuring, at least that we know that we can sub in uh, whatever genetic variants we see at that level. Um, at least theoretically, that's what. That's theoretically what, what should be able to be done. But I mean, it's just a matter of being able to do it in a timely fashion yeah. because you want to be vaccinating as many people as you can before a variant becomes so dangerous that it just overwhelms your healthcare system. And you're not yeah. able to do it. Right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that, what you described sounds like the, the, the basis of the necessity is the mother of all invention. Like, we, you know, we, this whole new way of us looking at how to design vaccines or potentially uh, an evolved way of looking at how we design vaccines. Cause from what I, one of the things I read and I, I'm not medical, I'm not a scientist. I just, I had read that the, this version of the vaccine, the MNR, the MRA that you said, MRNA, uh, M, uh, sorry, MRNA, messenger RNA, messenger RNA. Okay. Uh, I had read that that was something that they had looked at 
in the past for yeah. other things. And yeah. it, it was nice. Like one, so one of the things that I've heard is one of the reasons this vaccine took less time to develop than usual is specifically because the science behind the vaccine was already in progress and was able to be okay. So you're nodding. I'll let you explain. Yeah. So basically, like if you think of like the world of research, for example, yeah. like the world of research is as 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 boring it is as it is to some. It's extremely cutthroat for a lot oh. of other people because okay. the lot like what what like what gears research to be approved or, or not approved like universities will be i say giving grants to individuals so they can then develop something get a patent then the university's name is on it or companies will be able to do that too like like pfizer like moderna hmm. now if you go back 15 years ago the idea of making an mrna vaccine is not that sexy it's not something that's going to make anyone any money so hmm. like you might have a couple people doing it around the world without a lot of funds fast forward like, so, but they're developing some stuff so we're not starting from zero so they did have some like some plans, some ideas, some science was there uh, years ago. Now, fast forward to COVID time, where like basically any grant for research other than COVID is, is often be, is being shot down. Mm. It's like, this is not what we need money for right now. We need yeah. to develop this. So you have every single person essentially in any lab who was previously working on some other pharmaceutical thing or some other uh, virology thing or bacterial thing is now putting all their energy into COVID. So you have like a global response at the medical research level that was never there before for virtually anything. Yeah. And if it was, it was never there at a time when technology was such as it is now and communication was such as it is now. Yeah. So imagine you have this like exponential increase in minds and time and energy devoted to this task. Obviously it's gonna be done quicker, but the fact that there were these kind of like, this kind of foundation that was developed years ago, at that, but at that time wasn't as interesting, um, really made for this to be possible. Yeah. present day which is kind of what we were talking about last time you were saying like i'm worried this vaccine came out too quick are we cutting corners yeah it's like, realistically no we've just never had a moment where every single person in the scientific community is kind of united yeah to stop something it's kind of like all those it's like those it's like those avengers assemble moments yeah you know, like we have all the people coming through these portals coming through that or you got like in in like independence day where it's like we figured out how to beat them <laughs> they have the british guy in the desert with the morse code send it out and bill pullman's doing a speech just like that except that's it's we're fighting a virus and it's just like we've never had that happen really before yeah so that certainly is a big part of why this this was able to be done so quickly God. which is which is crazy i would like everyone listening to this to take a moment to recognize that when if we did if we had this approach to more things in the world, we could solve a lot of other For issues, sure. by the way. Uh, I know that COVID was this villain that showed up and just started taking everyone out and no regard for age. It, it Well, in some cases, age, but still potentially dangerous to children. So I know some people sure. out there are like, kids can't get... Kids have passed, guys. It's un it's very unfortunate that kids have passed. Uh, you know, adults have passed and elderly have passed. We're all mm -hmm. being affected by this, and you know, if we all worked like this, if we all assembled like the Avengers, if we all 100%. went Independence Day, if we all went, you know, like Voltron or Power Rangers and merged together to build something better and fight against these things, there's some very interesting things we could do on a global scale. Um, 100%. Uh, that's, why this, this, that's why they succeeded, which is yeah. which is kind of crazy yeah. to see. It really and, un and, unprecedented in like in scientific history, right? 
And I, and I hope we can, and like you said, we have the technology to transfer information so much faster. So someone who's working on it in America can send information to someone who's working on it in China like that instantaneously through the technology that we have available to us. Whereas back in the day, trying to send you know, data across from one country, one continent to the other may have taken longer. So we have the infrastructure to get the information across to each other way faster and we should work together. I would love that. I would, if we could put aside differences to try and solve so many things, it would be incredible. But then, you know, anyways, I, want, I don't even want to go into how we decide the hierarchy of importance because that turns into a whole other conversation. Okay. I wanted to ask you about this though. Sure. Um, uh, in a world where, uh, on a scale from you're suggesting people get it to it's mandatory, where would you put medical professionals on that? Um, you know, because I'll give you the backstory. I went to my dentist. My dentist yeah. is great. Um, the dental hygienist is wonderful. He, he's very nice. And, um, you know, the, the vaccine came up in conversation casually. And they were just like, oh, I'm not going to get that. I'm, I'm young and healthy and I don't think I need it. And I had a moment of panic because I was sitting there in a room with a medical professional who's about to continue doing work on my teeth. For sure. And I'm thinking, you don't want to get the vaccine because you believe that you're, you being healthy is good enough to do what? Like, I don't under, I, I, yeah. I don't, like, I get that. So one thing, I understand that the vaccine itself does not stop people from getting COVID. You can still get COVID, but it helps diminish the effects of COVID. For sure. Yeah. It reduces severity of symptoms and death exactly. like, tremend tremendously. And, and, and new studies are coming out that are showing that it, it even may reduce transmission and infection. And I think, you know, to answer your question um, by maybe not answering it is like, like I was saying before, is we're in a dynamic process as it stands yeah. right now. I mean, it's hard for people, I think, again, in our society, in Western society, to, to be able to take ownership and say in their institution, be it a private dental office, be it a hospital network, every single uh, medical professional needs to get it. That's not the position of, of like any Canadian health agency right now. Everyone's saying it's optional because yeah. we're still developing data. Now, fast forward two years from now. I'm expecting this to almost certainly be mandatory for anybody. Like I have to have certain vaccines uh, mandatory to work in an institution. I have to have certain tests done to be like when I was in medical school, I was a resident as a physician. Um, and you're probably going to need this at that level to work in that type of setting and to travel. Like yeah. I'm sure this idea of like this concept of like a vaccine passport is almost definitely going to be developed if we're going to if we're going to be seeing significant reductions in transmission with this depending on what the next couple months and years show uh with the data but i don't think it's a matter of it's just a matter of when you know and it's like in my mind what i like i was asked by the um the first nations youth council uh where i work and the vaccine group um like the vaccine how am i saying this the vaccine Impl implementation committee in uh, my first nations community to kind of do a couple of little like social media videos to help motivate the youth because the youth are able to get like 18 and over able to get vaccines there because mm. they're indigenous and they're in a remote community but there was a tremendous uh hesitancy at that level people yeah. who were young were not really into getting vaccinated because just like your hygienist said i'm young i'm healthy why should i do it mm. that's not going to affect me but basically what I come back to is when, what do you see? How do you see this ending? Yeah. Like, let's just, let's just talk Later. about how shit life is right now for everybody. <laughs> and like, it's yeah. not going away. Yeah. 
Like you're just seeing a roller coaster. Things are going up, things are going up. We're going to impose restrictions. We're going to take them. At least that's the way we're doing it in in Western the Western part yeah. of the world. And that's how it restrictions are going to down, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's not ending. It's not going to go away. We mm -hmm. don't have any medication you can take that can actually prevent it right now. Yeah. We have some things that can prevent you if you're really sick from dying in hospital. Yeah. But like, there's nothing else we can do right now. So this is the really the only out. Yeah, that we have. And for me, like just I'm so tired of this shit that I have no problem going down that road because I know that this is our best shot at like, yeah. pun in, pun not intended of getting to back to some semblance of normalcy. No, and no. It's like otherwise, what is the path to that? I don't know what it is. And then you're gonna see all these people, let's say, who may be, let's say, against the idea of vaccination. Fast forward two years. They're not gonna be able to do shit. They're not gonna probably they may not be able to get a job. They may yeah. not be able to get on a plane. They may not be able to leave like and go into a certain state, certain town, other countries. So it's gonna be interesting to see how this concept of immunization becomes part of your like identification yeah. going forward. Like, because that's not that's never really been something that we've had to deal with before, at least not in like in Western civilization. Yeah. Um, but it almost uh, and outside the medical field, like, for example, you need like I have to get my flu shot every year. Mm -hmm. And depending on where I'd work, you have to get other tests that are done uh, or immunizations. But for the general public to be very new. And I think it's just eventually going to fall into a position where you're not going to be able to do anything. Yeah. Unless you have proof of this. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully that happens because that implies that this this works. Right. Yeah. Um, what you're describing so. is a world where we've vaccinated people. We've it's it's down to you know zero percent or zero point one percent. The people who are refusing to get the vaccine are being told, "Hey, we can't bring you into this community because we've been able to control and we are we feel safe and comfortable, yeah. and you are an external uh, source that could be dangerous to us." So, if it, you know, once again, that that's the one of the things when people are saying it's. So it's not cancel culture, it's consequence culture. And I think that's a really important part. You have the right to make the decision not to get the vaccine, but there are consequences to that decision. And the consequences are in a world where other people have decided to take the vaccine and feel more comfortable around people who've taken the vaccine, you have who has not taken it might be excluded from things because you could be a potential danger to people. Sure. And, and if, if, yeah. and if, if we show... Yeah, if it shows that this, like, if they work at the level that we're hoping that they work, yes. right? If they don't, then it, it doesn't matter. But yeah. um, if, if we continue on the path that we're on, which all, all data is kind of showing that they do work very well, that might, it might come to that. It might come to that point. And yeah. like, I have a hard time reconciling. Like, if let's say I haven't been faced with one of my colleagues refusing it, all of my colleagues have gotten their vaccinations mm -hmm. uh, nurses, physicians, and uh, like frontline staff in the clinic. Like mm. almost everybody has, um, but yeah, no, it would be interesting to see. Like, if one of my one of my colleagues said no, I, I would love to have a chat with them. Say, what's your yeah? Just like what? So I'm just curious. What your what your what is your angle here? What are you hoping? Are you hoping to be in like the mind the minutia people that don't get it but are protected by herd immunity? Is that what you're mm. hoping? Like, mm. Maybe that's what it is. Um, but we don't know if that's realistically going to be possible. And governments are closing borders now for people. I could easily see them making that decision to not allow someone to enter the country unless they have like proof of immunization. Yeah. Like, like businesses can do what they want to do. They're allowed, not allowing people to get on with masks. They could easily invoke that too. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. But yeah. I have my first dose. I'm hoping to get my, I'll probably get my second one 
when I go back up north, because here in New York, the problem is to get a second dose, you had to have received your first dose here because they're, yeah, exactly. they're all coupled together. Yeah. So I'm not going to be able to get a second dose here. So I'll be like in that two to three month period post mm-hmm. uh, getting my first one. But I mean, it is what it is. I'm thankful that I was able to get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm happy you were able to get it. I'm happy that, you know, med- I, I truly believe medical professionals and the elderly definitely and uh, at risk, high risk uh, were definitely the groups that we needed to focus on. Those were the groups we, that uh, it, the, the elderly and the at risk were the groups we were losing the most. And yeah. medical was the group that was helping save them. So without the medical, we're not saving them. And then they're also it, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's cyclical, right? So, you know, people, and that, that's when I sometimes hear the people who are upset that they can't get their vaccine. It's just like, but are you part, are you part of solving the issue or are you in danger of dying sooner? Those are the things that I feel that people need to consider because I feel like those are the very basic logical questions as to why you would know you don't need it yet. Uh, you do, you should get it. But right now, I don't think you need it yet. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is here, like, you know, like they're at least in, in New York State, they've done a very good job, I think, of like explaining the tiers of people who are now eligible to get it. Mm. For example, like here in New York, like indoor dining, I think, is reopened again. But like a lot of the, the places that we go to, like, don't they don't even bother opening it because like we don't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. So like um, I'll go to like a place and get a cup of coffee or have like lunch with my wife outside, like in a, in a place that we feel safe that we're trying to help out that's in our neighborhood. Yeah. And then, but like half their staff has been vaccinated now because like frontline hospitality, uh, people, let's say who are delivery people who work at grocery stores and, or in pharmacies and that are eligible to get it. So, oh, yeah, crazy. Yeah, I don't amazing. think they did that in Quebec, that front line. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So they're all getting it and they're all like in the tier that's getting it now, um, which is awesome. So yeah. like we went out for lunch uh, last weekend at this place that we try and are helping to support. And they're telling us, yeah, 90% of our staff has been vaccinated. I was like, that's, that's incredible. That's amazing that you guys were able to do that. And uh, like, that's just, you just feel like, okay, things are moving hmm. like slowly, but hopefully, you know, next step then like they just released a list of all like certain conditions if you have these type of conditions you're eligible to get it like in new jersey for example if you smoke you're able to get vaccinated just because i heard about that i heard people complaining about that i definitely uh i i think i understand the emotion behind it yes but this uh, is the choice this is yeah (laughs) yeah i understand the emotion behind it i understand feeling like well i've been living a healthier life, but I'm yeah. not eligible for the life-saving sure. thing. So I get that emotion, but at the same time, w- w- I, and I'm, I find that interesting that in the States or New Jersey, a state is doing that because I feel like in Quebec, that's something that would maybe be... Oh, very controversial. Yeah, it would be controversial, but uh, in, a, in a... So the reason I'm saying that, in, in a universal healthcare system protecting people at all costs has it's that's always been the case right you you're protecting everyone it doesn't matter in in a private system in my head i think of it more as like well i I guess it's because i think of the insurance companies and the insurance companies might not uh insure someone who was a smoker they they normally wouldn't yeah like they probably want to protect like you're thinking like oh i want to protect this person from getting it because they're going to be sicker they're going to incur more cost they're going to take up a bed um so i think like there's definitely that aspect certainly someone who smokes is going to be at more risk of, of decompensating of being admitted of yeah. causing 
the infrastructure to get clogged up. So like, there's arguments on both sides. I wasn't that, that much of an uproar when I heard it. I was just okay. more like, hey, look, they, they, have, they have guidelines. They have things that are clear and they're communicating it to yeah. the community in a way that's uh, easily understood. That's, I think, at the end of the day, what, yeah, that's what, what I asked for more. Yeah. That I know if I can get, because like, honestly, in Quebec right now, it's really, like, I can't tell you who's yeah as, as easily. And like, that's where I spend half of my time and I work. And my community was very easy because everyone over 18 can get it. And yeah. it's like, you're an indigenous community, you were like the priority to be getting it. So it was a lot easier. But uh, yeah. Speaking of under 18, kids going back to school. Uh, recently they've been saying that some of the cases that we're seeing are spread because kids are being back in school and stuff like that. Um, mental health versus community surviving, or I guess I feel like that's sorry. I'll rephrase because putting it like that makes it very unfair because obviously you want the community to survive, but how do we balance the mental health for the youth and trying to, uh, balance the overall health of the community there? That's how I'll say it. Mental health versus overall health, which is not even just for the youth. It's for everyone. Everybody, for parents. Like yeah. if you're at home with your kid all the time, like yeah, it, that, 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 that's just tremendous stress. You know, you're working from home, and then you're also doing childcare. They're doing home learning. It's yeah, it's extremely stressful. I think like the the biggest problem I think at least uh, for Quebec school opening is that they're just not really meeting certain safety standards that other places are. Yeah. Let's say compared to let's say the like, CDC guidelines or New York State guidelines. I'm only speaking to New York City because I, I live here. So you live there, I know, yeah. I know, I know that. Not saying it's necessarily better. It's just the one I'm more familiar yeah, with. Exactly. Um, but uh, for example, here, like everybody has the opt-out option mm-hmm. of, let's say, doing home learn a home learning. Even if, let's say, they are back to school, fifty uh, percent of the time, they have the option to not be back yeah. at all. So that is that is nice. Number one, having that opt-out option. Uh, also, kids are wearing masks in class. You know, like as opposed to Quebec, you're not. You're you're in your yeah. class. You're not able. You're not necessarily have to, depending on the institution. They also have very specific ventilation protocols uh, in place and distancing. Like that is not necessarily going to be uh, enforced in every school setting. And there was a lot of flack from some. Like I think it was one of the English public or private schools that was upgrading their ventilation systems and trying to get the Quebec government to reimburse them because they were trying to just protect their staff and they, they were saying no, it was a big controversy there. So I just think it's, I think schools can open, but you have to be able to justify it that you're taking the proper precautions like any place. Yeah. And it's, and children are vectors of this just because they're not getting super sick. They are spreading it. And like, there was no, there was no clear evidence of this then in, in like the outbreak that I just worked in. Um, there was a number of instances where like a child, like nine, 10 years old, gets exposed, gets sick, has a runny nose, goes and sleeps over at a number of people's houses, mm. goes and visits a number of people. And then they are the person that spread it to all these other places. As oh, a kid. Man. And a yeah. kid feels fine. You know, you're not thinking. It's like, and a lot of people are quick to write off, oh, my kid just has a cold, he just has a runny nose. It's like, no, oh, your kid should get tested. Yeah, That's like another big problem. Right? Like, and they're going back to school and they're not wearing masks. You're seeing so many outbreaks in these schools and classes are being shut down. So I think like, think there's a way to do it mm-hmm. um but right now we're not really we don't have the measures in place to do it safely at least from what they currently are presenting uh, at the quebec level because i think they're trying to make it the least traumatic as possible for, yeah. for children i get it like, for sure yeah. this is a traumatic time you want them to go back to school have some semblance of normalcy but it's going to be at a cost and that's going to be they're going to be spreading the infection between each other and then to the people they go home to 
Super quick, continuing on the kids. I don't know if you've heard in Quebec, they're planning to open up things for the spring break. Um, they're planning to open up like movie theaters, indoor skating rinks, indoor pools. Uh, you know, they're, uh, you're going to be allowed to be in groups of eight, if I'm not mistaken. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But all that to say, last year, one of the big spread, spreaders was spring break, right? For we sure. realized yeah. that the return from spring break mm-hmm. helped cause from travel. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of travel. Exactly. Um, in this case, kids aren't going to be traveling outside of the province, but they're going to still be intertwining and interacting in small spaces is what are some of the things that we could do? Cause I, I, obviously I, I, there's no way of stopping it. I I would love to stop it. I I don't think it's safe. I also don't have kids. So Mm -hmm. as someone who doesn't have kids, no, they want to be social. You want to be having your child socialized for sure. It's part of their development. Right. And it's very important. That's something I feel that we should mention. We both don't have kids. We're talking uh, uh, this uh, very much as outsiders, which I feel is also important, though, because sometimes if you're in it, it's hard for you to understand it. To be a, or be a, maybe to be objective. I don't know. Yeah. But like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, look, I think um, there's a way to do it again. Like, like, for example, you're saying people can hang out in groups of eights. Mm. So it's one thing if you're hanging out with like one other family and you've chosen, this is the only family that we're seeing. Yeah. We are the only two units that will be together yeah. for the duration going for We've created a bubble together and that's it. The problem is this was never really properly like implemented in Quebec. So you're seeing a lot of people who just like bounce around. Yeah. Oh, we're eight. It's fine. We're allowed to be six. It's yeah. okay. And that's the problem is that like whether you're three or six or 12, it's the differences that make up that group and the inconsistencies in who you're with that causes us to spread so quickly. So if you're always with the same six people the entire time and you have an open dialogue and discussion about yeah. like, hey, if someone is sick, you need to tell us. And like, we're not gonna hold, like we're not gonna be mad at you. It's just, we wanna know. You have to be open and upfront and transparent. And unfortunately we're not really good at doing that as people. You know, it's just like, you're you're ashamed, you're embarrassed, you, feel, you wanna make somebody feel uncomfortable. But you have to pair up and choose who's going to be in your bubble, and that's it. And that's your yeah. bubble, and that's like really the only way that you can do it. Because I think a lot of people are going to hang their hat on, oh yeah, I, I can, I can be eight or I can be six, and just think of a number. Yeah. And then you're mixing not, yeah. things up all the time. It's like then it doesn't mean anything. Then yeah. you've seen really like fifty people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's the idea is that you have to have that household or that family unit and yours. That's it. You're not seeing anybody else. And that gives you some semblance of, of social stimulation, of, of socialization for your kids, for you. Um, but you're being as safe as possible. And you are prepared to have that dialogue of like, hey, I'm sick. We can't do anything. Yeah. Hey, I was sick. You should get tested. Hey, I was exposed. You should get tested. And that's the way you need to be I, talking about it. I feel like that is one of the most important things that we can take away from this whole conversation. That being responsible for yourself and being open and honest in communicating with other people uh is the um, utmost importance in this situation mm-hmm. uh j- just the having the courage which i i find it even interesting that we have to say courage but having the courage to tell someone else hey i may have been exposed i'm getting tested you should be get, you should get yeah. tested and you know uh, and i think the most important thing is here is as the person receiving that information don't play the blame game we yeah. don't have time for it Except no. that they're speaking to you. Because if you start making people feel guilty about stuff, this is why people aren't going to want to communicate. Exactly. Because um, I remember the first time that I potentially had been 
um, exposed to it. And I had gone to drop off something at my mom's and that dread of calling my mom to tell her I may have been exposed. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to find out from person X about person X and person Y. And then I'll, you know, and you know, I told my mom, my mom was like, yeah, it's fine. And it was like such a weird weight off my shoulders to hear my mom say, yes, it's fine. Mm -hmm. In my head, I was just like, oh, she's going to be mad. And I was just like, I feel so bad. And there was so much guilt. We got to let go of the guilt. We got to. Yeah. That's like, I think a big thing that just prevents this from spreading is just like, you need to be like, set the denominator as being like, look, these are things that are going to happen. And don't be pissed at someone if they can't do something. Or let's say you were planning to see that person as part of your bubble and they're sick. The fact that they told you that, yeah. that they aren't seeing you is that is a testament to how much they care about you. Yes. And like, if you're sick, don't do something. Just stay the fuck home. Like, 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 which is something that people just aren't doing or thinking like, oh, I have a cold. It's just a cold. Get tested. Yeah. Just go get tested. Like, just figure it out. Because then, like, I know we're saying, well, what's that going to change if I'm sick? Well, that way, at least you know, then you can start going back and start doing your little mental gymnastics about what you should and shouldn't have done and who you saw and who you need to tell. Because the yeah. moment you just think that you're having a cold, you're not going to start to think about really what you have done and who you may have exposed. So it's it, it's, it's a simple thing. It's just, but it's like, I don't think we're talking about that enough in this notion of being upfront, being yeah. transparent. And the fact is when you have these like, when you don't have a bubble, you're just seeing all these other people, you're very quickly able to not do that in an effective way because you are you don't have that attachment to someone. You yeah. haven't had that discussion like, we're going to see each other, but this is what we need to do to be safe. You're seeing a mess of people intermittently over a period of time. You're much less likely to feel comfortable telling them, hey, I'm sick or hey, I was exposed because you're living in this world of like, they're your friends, but you haven't yeah. really sat down and had that that chat. Which it's so is, crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I keep thinking about it, but it's such an interesting thing of like, yeah, having that chat, it, it feels like one of the talks now. It's just like, it is? Yeah. like protection during sex, um, you know, religion, politics, and the chat of just like, have I been exposed? And can't mm -hmm. like, can I be open with you? And having those conversations up front and being honest about that stuff is important. Yeah. Like if you're going to have a, if you're going to create a bubble, you need to have a discussion and like assess and you may not be in a position where you can do that, but assess the risk of like the yeah. people that are in your bubble with you. Yeah. Obviously, myself and my wife are higher risk people because we are in the healthcare environment. Yeah. Um, really for me, and, like, we, partner. Exactly. My partner so you're living with a different yes, yeah, so you're living with a different level of risk on the day to day. So yeah. you may be more comfortable of tolerant of risk for someone else coming in as opposed to someone who's not in that setting where they're constantly with a healthcare provider. Right. Oh, yeah. So I, anytime someone is potentially coming to see me, I, I let them know straight off the bat. Hey, by the way, my partner works in the medical field. My mother exactly. works in the medical field. Those are the two people in my bubble. They're both being potentially exposed. And that's one of the reasons I haven't really been trying to connect. For sure. Yeah. No, no doubt. It's like we, we have like two, we have a couple here that we see in mm -hmm. New York city and like, um the the woman in the couple is a photographer who now is not really doing much work just working from home mm -hmm. and um the man in the couple works in sounds in television oh cool but it's tested every day oh god yeah i can imagine every single day like they're very like he's not allowed to get in like a cab not allowed to take public transportation they're, they've created a really intense like entertainment bubble so yeah. his risk he has a very good idea of what his risk is just in terms of exposure and we were comfortable with that that risk level on both ends, you know. Yeah. And should anything change, we we let each other know. There were times like 
when, um, for example, when we were about to get our vaccines, we kind of said, let's just not hang out for this time. We want to want to make sure we're not going to get sick yeah. at any reason while we get it. So we're not confused. Is it the vaccine? Is it COVID? So, you know, and it's these are hard conversations that a lot of us have never had to have had before. But yeah. that's what's going to allow you to be able to have some semblance of, of safe, normal-ish behavior with what's happening at spring break, like you're saying. It can yeah. be done. I just think you got to be uh, having the tough conversations which isn't easy. Yeah. Justin, this was amazing. Thank you so very much. Hey, my pleasure. With me. I, you know, when, when I, I and also I want to apologize for all the times that I, we were supposed to have this conversation and it just didn't work out. That was oh, it's okay. No, it's fine. So happy. Me too. Yeah. It's, I'm just happy it's, that we got schedules are weird. No, I'm glad we got to sit down. Right. Sit down yeah. The, the pandemic has made it that, uh, sometimes I'm just like, Oh, I have all the time in the world because I'm home all the time. And then you start mm -hmm. to realize, oh no, you have a lot of projects going on. And it might yeah, not be as easy as you for think. Sure. Um, but thank you. Thank you so very much. This is this has been a great conversation. Uh it's a great follow-up to the conversation we had initially. Um, and I, I and hopefully we can have another one again soon. Yeah. It could be uh, like a six-month um on retainer. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> every uh, check check in on every six months and see how it's going. We really should book it because at this point I, I'm doing the way I'm doing the show now is I'm doing the monthly. So the last one I did uh, was mental health. I spoke to an amazing doctor, Dr. Han Ren. Yeah, I saw it. It was awesome. Yeah, she was wonderful. It was really, really interesting. Actually, I really should reach out to her because she does live in Texas. So I'd like to make sure she's okay because of the stuff going on in Texas. For sure. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, that was a great conversation. And then getting to catch up with you, I, I really do enjoy get, speaking with you guys about this stuff because uh, two things, mental and physical health are the two things that it during this situation, I've felt that I normally feel perfectly fine. But just because I feel fine doesn't mean I am. 100%. And I probably think about those things. So having these conversations really helped me assess that stuff and hopefully helps other people assess this stuff. So. Is there anything you wanted to tell people? Uh, anything, any resources you'd want to recommend, uh, or, or just you know, a, a nice as as uh, Jesus and Marrow say on their show, what would your? I mean, not that I can steal it, but you know, if you had a sign, what would your sign say right now as you sign off? What would my sign say if I'd sign off? Totally I would just say, I mean, like, <laughs> I think this is what I said before. Like, there are ways to live within this world that we're in right now that can mm -hmm. still give you joy yeah and that could be with that could be by yourself or with other people you just need to find those moments of joy and if you're choosing let's say to see somebody else bubble up yeah be open be like forgiving yeah be grateful and be kind and recognize like everyone is going through some degree of trauma right now yeah and for sure we're all having some level of like call it compassion fatigue where you just get kind of tired of let's say being there for somebody but just remember like take your check in with yourself and check in with other people have these tough conversations because like for this for, we were in a very different place than we were six months ago i would say a better place and let's yeah. hope that we can continue going forward and i think the only way that can happen is if we are transparent at every level be it government to people and, and with with each other so Ooh, yes. Transparent, be it government or to people. That is that I feel is a sign. Being transparent be to people. That that is such a valid and important statement. Hey, thank you again. No uh, guys, thanks to everyone who's been watching this. Once again, if you guys like the content, please, you know, all those links and all the content, subscribe. Uh, you guys can also check out Geek Tastic Cypher, which is the weekly geek podcast that I do. That's over on Free X Agents Media here on YouTube. 
And uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you know, subscribe, subscribe to all my stuff, you know, Brian holiday, H O L I D A E.com. Um, thanks Justin so much. And I'll talk again to you soon. Yeah, bye. Take care, man. And that's another edition of not a journalist with Brian holiday. You guys can find more episodes on brianholiday.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-H-O-L-I-D-A-E. Also, follow me on all social media platforms at Brian Holiday. If you guys want to support me, make sure to check out my coffee page. That's ko-fi.com slash Brian Holiday. And if you have something to say, you can leave a message at anchor.fm slash not-a-journalist slash message and i'll add it to the next episode thanks for tuning in everyone